0: Hello, this is Spotlight on Lead Poisoning, brought to you by Southern United Neighborhoods, a nonprofit committed to environmental, social, and economic justice for low-income and working families. For more information, please visit our website at southernunitedneighborhoods.org or give us a call at one eight hundred two three nine seven three seven nine. 239 7379 My name is Marie. Dr. Howard Milkey, who's been working on lead for a number of years mainly in the soil. Um, Dr. Mulkey, how did you get involved in lead poisoning in the first place?
1: Um, well, let's see. I started pretty early, actually, um, in my career, um, studying urban gardens in the city of Baltimore, and came in the course of doing the study with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. We came to the conclusion that garden soils within the interior of the city of Baltimore were very highly uh, contaminated, and that the outlying areas of the city were not as contaminated. And the difference between the two were striking in that, if you know anything about Baltimore, it's a brick city with very little lead-based paint in the interior and in the outlying areas, the um, buildings are wood, are painted, lead-based painted wood, and that went against all of the predictions that were being made by the Alpha Corporation. They kept saying that it was paint alone that was causing problems in soil and that um, their product, uh, tetra- alpha lead, had no bearing whatsoever on the amount of lead in, in soil, and, um, so, that didn't make any sense in terms of, what was being predicted by the corporation that produced the a, a major compound, and um, the reality that we're seeing on the ground. Then I continued the work, where Instead of just looking at the amount of lead in the soil, we also looked at the um, blood lead levels of the children living in the same areas. And what we noticed is that the amount of lead in the soil was uh, associated, very strongly associated, with the blood lead levels of the children that are living in the same areas. And this was... These were studies that were done in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And then after that study, I came down to New Orleans. And in the course of all of that, um, I came to the realization through a group of circumstances that my own daughter was lead poisoned. And that was really... Uh, I already had done a lot of work on the topic, so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what on earth she was getting exposed to, and I came to the conclusion that she was um, at a daycare center, which was immaculately cleaned on the inside, but she was released to a play area outside where uh the soil lead was extremely high, and i um uh, thought that once again, the association between the amount of lead in soil and children's blood lead pointed to the idea that soil lead was a very potent way in which exposure was taking place, and so um that experience was one that um resulted actually. In taking up the issue with the legislature of the state of Minnesota, and they discussed- the legislature uh looked at everything that had been learned and said, "Well we've got to get we have to ban lead and gasoline, but that turned out to be illegal, and so what happened is the legislature then petitioned Congress to ban lead and gasoline." and I was invited to give a presentation to the Senate on the topic. And um against all odds I had no reason to expect that we'd be uh, able to make a, a case. On um, the Senate hearing they concluded that we they needed to ban lead and gasoline. That was in nineteen eighty four. So 1986, January 1st, 1986, was actually the major date in which there was a very rapid reduction in the amount of lead in gasoline. And that had an outcome which we learned, of course, later on that as soon as you took lead out of gasoline, there was reduction of lead in uh, children's blood lead. And that, um, continues even to this day because once you took lead out of gasoline, you also stopped the dust flow onto the soil. And if you stop the dust flow on the soil, the soil will start actually becoming cleaner over time. And that's really encouraging, but the levels are still too high within parts of the city. The interior of the city is still too contaminated. And we keep seeing the same association year after year of the of uh the amount of lead in the soil as it relates to blood blood lead of children and that's uh that's continuing but uh it's much the exposures are much lower now and it, yeah, I mean we, it's
0: just remarkable that your work led to the ban on lead and gasoline, because I think it had one of the most lasting effects on lead poisoning and helping, you know, reduce lead poisoning.
1: Well, yeah, um, I appreciate that recognition, and um, I'm particularly interested, of course, in that. The children and uh, ha- are doing much better now than they were back in the seventies eight- the and eighties when I was paying attention to the the issue. And um, it's a different world. I mean that um, I I hope that the children of today are going to have the uh mental acuity to realize the issues that have been accumulating within our society and uh find ways to deal with it um it, and uh, in some ways we're, there's some lessons in the the epidemic that we have right now um the epidemic that we have right now is an epidemic that um, is showing that if you change commerce and we've had a huge change in commerce and the kind of activities that we're taking as people, we also are seeing uh, improvements in the environment um, water's cleaner, airs cleaner um it can be seen from satellite and it gives us an indication of how severe our economic system has been in terms of the environment. We have to find a way to unravel that and that's, that's, that's something that our current and future generations must grapple with.
0: Yeah, so there's many chronic health Issues that are associated with lead poise, lead exposure, right?
1: Many, yes. Um, um,
0: what are the, some of them specifically?
1: Well, specifically, I mean the the one that is usually talked about a lot is the neurotoxicity, the 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 brain damage that's done by lead exposure for a child, especially, and the the brain damage, um, especially. It hits the prefrontal cortex, and um, that is the part of the brain that is involved in impulse control. And if you have problems with impulse control, um, when children have problems with impulse control, they are running into learning disabilities and behavioral problems. And that's the one that's usually talked about. But in addition to that, um, there's an impact of lead exposure on blood pressure. And blood pressure relates to um, heart disease and to kidney disorders. And those are really um, part of the problem that we are seeing that patients that are coming in with chronic diseases and are hit by COVID-19 are the same people who are having a high death rate. And the population that's unfortunately has been very highly exposed to lead is the African American population, often the American African American population that is living closer to the interior of the city uh, where the high lead levels are in the environment. So it's a very complex a group of issues that have come together to create a high death rate for the African American um, population,
0: and that's what we're seeing here in New Orleans, right? Is a very high it? death rate among African Americans in the city,
1: right here, and and it's being seen in other places as well. Um, so, you know. Uh, New Orleans may have a little higher um, lead levels in the environment in the interior, partly because it's a small and confined city. So a lot of traffic is, has been focused through the interior of the city over many years. And that has resulted in, for example, I 10. Corridor in the interior of the city is very highly contaminated, and um, that is a result of many decades of the um, high traffic flows with uh, of automobiles burning leaded gasoline, which was emitted into the air and then fell down to the soil, and um, that. Resulted in a uh, part of the city that was very highly contaminated. And those are the parts of the city that we have high violence rates. We have very difficult time learning problems in, uh, among the youngest in that part of the city. And um, in later life, chronic diseases that result in high death rates.
0: Yeah, because I think. Um... It was Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that came out with a map of um, average age death for the city in the Treme area by the I-10 corridor. Those people died at a much earlier age than the rest of the city.
1: Yes, they did. And so
0: yeah. it was like chronic Well, the chronic diseases you were talking about and health issues that come from exposure to lead, right?
1: Right. Um, And and there's um, the terrible example, of course, is uh, seen on the the walls of... There's a church called St. Anna's Episcopal Church in uh, the Tremé area. Um, It's right along Esplanade. And they have a record of the number of homicides p- in that community, and it's it's just outrageously high. Well that can be related back to the behavioral problems that come out of the lead poisoning early on in life um, with the basically with the neurological disruption of the um, pre Prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that is involved in impulse control.
0: Yeah. And so, um, what kind of changes would you suggest to reduce um, exposure risk right now? Because we aren't really seeing. Like I guess this is sort of a legacy of lead poisoning, where adults now. Who have had low level exposure, maybe to lead or even high levels, are having these chronic health issues that are resulting in increased risk for um, dying from coronavirus. Um, so, what changes are needed to be done now?
1: Well, um, for the, p- the p- patients who have the chronic diseases, um it's hard to to deal with it late in life. Um but if you can prevent the exposures early in life, then you have a chance of preventing the uh future diseases, chronic diseases that um uh, disable people or um, reduce their ability to fight off infections later on in life. And so, thinking of it that way, you want to pay attention to primary prevention. Prevent the exposure early on in life that causes problems later on in life. And I know it's in the middle of an epidemic. Uh, The last thing people are thinking about it is primary prevention of lead exposure. By the children early on in life, but um, uh, the present and future ch- uh, chronic disease or uh, epidemics, this is not the last of the epidemics. We're bound to get more. Um, there's a lot of reasons that epidemics are going to be uh, continue to um, become an or. or re- remain as an issue because of uh, the, the issue that uh, as um, the population is increasing into areas that hadn't been populated before, there are a lot of, there's sinks of uh, various kinds of viruses and other uh, bacteria and other um, disease-forming Organisms that can be released, um, and this is, you know, it was illustrated by COVID nineteen, in um, that wild populate, you know, wild animals were in the market, and apparently uh, crossed, they passed from the wild animal into uh, humans at in the marketplace, I mean, that's the story that we hear right now. It's more complicated than that, but fundamentally, um, disease reservoirs are available. Well, we have to figure out how to improve our health and public health system to do primary prevention, especially with the very youngest, and put emphasis on primary prevention at a very young age and, and fetal development even, uh, so that there is um, less exposures to substances like lead uh, early on in life. And it's probably true that other, we, we expect that other um, exposures are likely to um, weaken the population as well. Um, various organic chemicals are uh, from suspects. Um, yeah, because they that... were
0: saying, there was a lot of articles recently that came out that Louisiana had a high maternal death rate compared to other areas. Yes. And you would link in that to lead poisoning as well, right?
1: To lead poisoning or possibly some other environmental... Exposures that are taking place. Um, flame retardants are notorious for uh, causing some issues, uh, damage, genetic damage, and uh, epidem- epigenetic damages um, that uh, have a lifelong um, and chronic uh, exposure issue that is related to them. So. Um yeah you're right and um and lead poisoning would would be you know it's critical that it, and we know something about the um some early pre- preclampsia and eclampsia uh, yeah. among women are uh one of the causes of that is is lead poisoning. And uh, it's a miscommunication between the mother and the fetus. And when that happens, the um, things start going awry uh, molecular wise, um, blood sugar rises and you know, a lot of issues show up that put both the fetus and the mother at risk, very high risk.
0: So in terms of prevention, what actions could be taken to change our environmental health risks to protect future generations when they're going through epidemics and stuff?
1: Well, we we've noticed that as the amount of lead in the soil undergoes a reduction, the blood lead levels of children undergo a reduction. And that um, we should be able to learn from that that We need to find ways to clean up our city and uh, at a more rapid rate than is naturally taking place and to prevent any kind of aerosols arriving in the environment that cause problems to uh, chronic health problems. So I would work on what i think of is the sort of a green a greening of the city approach that is um bringing in plants and cleaner soil and doing plantings uh along boulevards and uh, public spaces as well as trying to find ways to improve the environment of the private spaces where children are playing in their yards and this is not a difficult thing to do. It's just a matter of uh, bringing in a small amount of clean soil on the surface. The problem is on the surface of the soil. I'm not worried about twelve feet under or twelve inches under, for that matter. I'm worried about the very surface that children are exposed to, because it's this surface uh, soils that are. Resuspended into the air during windy conditions, droughty and windy conditions, and if there's lead contaminated soil, then lead will be back in the air. And inhalation is a very important route of exposure because the uh, particles go into the lungs and into the, directly into the bloodstream. Then there's hand-to-mouth activity which uh, would be ingestion, goes through intestinal tract. And then there's track tracking that takes place where the soil from outside gets tracked into the interior, and if you don't take your shoes off at the door, then you're tracking in contaminated soil. So, a res- uh, reduction of the amount of um, contaminated soil on the surface would... Prevent all of that from taking place: mm-hmm. inhalation, ingestion, and tracking. And so it would cut major exposure lots of exposure. So that you know that's one thing: greening of the city, improving the And it's the not that
0: expensive, right?
1: No, it's not that expensive. It's fairly, it's very practical and inexpensive. It's just a matter of landscaping taking place. And I would just find ways to incre- increase the greenness within the city, of better um, materials on the surface of the, of the soil so that grass grows better and that um, it provides a, a sounder environment to live in. And
0: it so certainly. It- More cost effective to do this than it is to deal with people's lifelong chronic health conditions?
1: Um, Well, it's, yeah, it would be a, you know, it should be an important public health thrust to improve the quality of of the environment of the city. It's where Mm -hmm. most people live. We, We have to make sure that the living environment is one that is not creating um, serious problems to the people living there.
0: Yeah, I think it would go a long way to protecting future generations and restoring health in our communities.
1: There's some good evidence um, that when uh, cities underdo, undergo a greening process, that the people are happier uh, when they're seeing trees instead of just barren um, landscapes. Uh, There's there's something uplifting about it, and ecologically it becomes interesting because then you have birds and you have um, shade to block the sunlight so it doesn't get so hot. There's a number of things that come with greening of the city, and there there are some cities that are actively doing it. There's some good programs in New Orleans that are bringing in trees and planting them and um, providing um, a better a, a, a pathway towards an improved environment in the city. And that yeah, I should think impl- it's
0: very encouraging that there is a lot more people that seem to be interested in that kind of thing right now in New Orleans and and in other states.
1: And we do have time right now to work in our gardens and to improve them. If if we have, we need some means to do that. But it you know these are natural components. We have an extraordinary. Um, resource before us in the city of New Orleans because it turns out that although you think the Mississippi River uh is just a total uh, polluted mess, in fact, uh the sediments coming from the river are remarkably clean. We've done a lot of work with the sediments at the Bonnet-Carré Spillway. And the Bonnet-Carré Spillway sediments Contain between you know around five to ten parts per million lead, whereas a city contains um, say fifty to a hundred or five hundred to a thousand in, in that range in some parts of the city of soil lead. So you have an opportunity to bring some clean soil into the city which normally would happen if there was a regular flooding cycle, but we don't have that. Uh, The alluvium, or the the materials that come from the river, are remarkably clean, and if they are brought into the city, um, the city could be much cleaner, and Mm -hmm. the surface of the city would be cleaner and a, a, a more suitable environment for children to be playing in.
0: Thanks. You have been listening to Spotlight on Lead Poisoning from Southern United Neighborhoods. If you would like to help prevent lead poisoning, please visit our website at southernunitedneighborhoods.org or give us a call at 1-800-239-7379.